everyone, and welcome to Practicology, where we are putting biblical theology to work in our everyday lives. I am Mike Knox, and let's check and see if our co-host is there, Matthew Kane. Are you with us? I am with you. I've got my cup of tea with me, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from you today, Mike, on the second episode of the Practicology Podcast. Matthew, many people are scared off by the word theology. Why don't you just remind us what we're trying to do in this podcast? Yeah, there is no need for people to be scared. Uh, We are taking scripture off the shelf, putting it down next to your kitchen sink, because the Bible belongs not just with the commentaries, but also beside a stack of dirty dishes. In our last episode, we talked about how the God of endurance can help us endure hard circumstances in our Christian life. In this episode, we want to focus on life in the local church specifically. Remember that phrase we grabbed from Romans 15, the God of endurance, that was in the context of conflict in the local church. People were judging one another on issues that didn't really relate to doctrine, but more on matters of opinions, and it was creating conflict. And the Apostle Paul wanted them to be united, and he reminded them that uh, a resource to help them endure that conflict was the God of endurance. Mike, this has been a tough year for many churches, tension of uh, not being able to meet together at times, disagreement on what the Christian response should be to government restrictions, and I'm sure your local church was no different. What would you say the Lord has taught you this past year about persevering through adversity in the church? Matthew, this has been a really difficult year in our local church. Wait a minute, Mike. Uh, let me just interrupt you there. Is it is it right, do you think, for you to talk about our local church? I noticed you used that expression, our church, our assembly. I mean, it, it is the Lord's church. Should we be talking about our assembly? I think that's a helpful question in that we always need to remember the Lord Jesus is the head of the church. What a disaster when we forget that truth. But we should be gracious in interpreting one another too. If someone says our school is getting new playground equipment, we know what they mean. They're not claiming to own the school, but just belong to it. The same is true when I said it's been a difficult year in our local church. Anyways, as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. Just kidding. I'm I'm glad you did that, Matthew. I think that's one of the skills we need to learn to make it easier to be in fellowship with one another. Not interrupting, I mean, but asking one another what we mean before jumping to conclusions and condemnations. Very good. Thank you. I apologize for the rude interruption. The Bible says to be quick to hear and slow to speak, so I jumped the gun a little bit there, but thank you for your helpful clarification. We, we do need to hear each other carefully, not judgmentally. So in light of that, why don't you just start over, Mike? What, what is it that you were trying to tell me? Sure. For many of us, life in the church was extremely painful this year. COVID was definitely a factor, but there were other tensions at work too. Uh, speaking personally, there were many times of despair for me. It just felt like way too much to handle, and it was tempting to give up. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Uh, what would you say kept you back from the brink? I think there were three specific realities that did help me and are helping me still. And some of them are surprising too. Uh, And this is what we want to cover now, Matthew, is just three things that helped me. Three realities. First of all, a wonderful comfort. Secondly, a wonderful promise. And thirdly, a wonderful truth. So let's start with number one, a wonderful comfort. In the midst of our anger and pain this past year, God met us with wonderful and surprising comforts. Now, this podcast is mostly going to focus on Psalm 126, 
But before I get there, let me quickly throw in a couple New Testament verses that helped me as well. First of all, Colossians 1, 9 to 11, the comfort of knowing that enduring hard times pleases Christ. And Matthew, you might remember there, Paul is praying for the believers in Colossae, and he's praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will so that they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to the Lord Jesus. And then he follows that with four things that do please the Lord Jesus. And one of them is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. And that's been a comfort for me for at least a couple years now. Whenever I'm going through hard times or dealing with hard people even, um, just to remember that this actually pleases my Lord Jesus. And in the famous words of C.S. Lewis, I can become an ingredient in the happiness of the Lord Jesus Christ just by enduring, by his power, just by enduring hard times. So, so that's been a comfort. But another New Testament verse is, is the comfort of knowing that this is a test. And I'm, I'm thinking of James 1 verses 2 to 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And, and there's something that's very helpful for me to be able to stop in the midst of a crisis or a trial and recognize this is a test. This is a trial. This is part of my father's training program for me. And he's looking to see how I respond and how I do well. And just, just knowing the nature of the circumstance that this is a test uh, greatly helps me to endure and, and just, yeah, it gives me the desire to want to do well in it. But but let's now finally come to Psalm 126. And uh, this psalm has been massively helpful for me. We're talking about these wonderful comforts the Lord gave me and maybe has given you too during hard times in the church. And as we come to Psalm 126, let me put it this way. The comfort of knowing that pain in a body can only be felt by members of that body. The comfort of knowing that pain in a body can only be felt by members of that body. To be honest, this is this is a little bit hard for me to explain. It's a very strange comfort indeed. But um, uh, to use a maybe a, a poor analogy, imagine you had an elbow that felt ignored and overlooked. Maybe it felt like it wasn't actually part of the body. Or maybe it thought, oh, us members of this body are not very close to one another. We, we don't get together as much as we should. I wonder if we even are a body. And then part of the body gets amputated or injured or something. And the elbow feels immense pain and staggering loss. The pain and loss are real. And because they are real, they're also strangely comforting. Okay, so we are united. We are members together. We are part of this organic body together. Now, with that analogy, just, just hear me read the first couple of verses of Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Here's the connection I want to make. When Zion was doing great, the people in the psalm were doing great. Now, I know that Hebrews 12 links Zion with the church and so on, but that's not pertinent or or a necessary move for me to make, to, to just make my point. The point is this. In the context of Psalm 126, when the city of God was doing well, 
these people of God were happy. Kind of like Nehemiah in Nehemiah 1, when Jerusalem's gates drooped, so did his face. His happiness and, uh, and his countenance reflected the state of the people of God or the city of God. Um, Tim Keller has often made a comment about to be a parent is to be only as happy as your least happiest child. And there's a sense in which to be in God's family means we're only as happy as the least happiest member. And I'm saying that this was a strange comfort to me. This pain that we go through when our local church is struggling and when there are differences of opinion and when issues do come up, this pain means we are members of the same body. We are children in the same family. And it's strangely reassuring to know that there's a real sense in which my happiness is intricately tied to the state of the local church that I'm in. I'm only as happy as this local church that I'm in. My pain is, my face is reflective of what's happening in the midst of our fellowship. So, so one thing that kept me back from the brink, Matthew, was this. The very registration of such pain in me tells me, I am part of something united and precious. I am a member of a local body of believers. As much as I don't enjoy this pain, it would be far worse if I didn't feel any. Therefore, this fellowship, this thing I'm part of, is worth sticking with. So there's the first one, a wonderful comfort. Let's, uh, let's look briefly at the second one. It's, it's a wonderful promise. I, I want to tackle these last two realities that help me uh, more briefly. They're not quite so hard to explain. So verse 4 uh, says this in Psalm 126, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And uh, restore, I mean, this implies that the joy and spiritual prosperity of verses 1 to 3 are gone. Those three verses that began the psalm were reflective. He was remembering past times when Zion was doing well. We were very happy, he was saying. But now things have changed and the people of God are going through a drought, a spiritual pandemic, if you will. And the big question is, what sustains them during the dry times? What sustains them during the hard times? Well, listen to verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What sustains them is this. It's a wonderful promise. Here's a promise for when you feel the following. You feel, what's the point of even going tonight? What's the point of having another Zoom meeting? I, I feel like the fabric of my soul is pulled so tight that I cannot handle a single more critical word. Why do I even bother? Why bother? Well, why bother? Because here is the Lord's promise. His promise so in tears. And you will reap with joy. So, so brother, sister, set up another Zoom meeting. Um, get over how many people have their cameras shut off. Open up the door of the building you meet in, if you're allowed to, and put on the lights again. Have that conversation another time. Meet and try to work out our differences again. Pray another prayer with other believers again, preach another message again, pay another visit, make another phone call, write another letter, another email, another note. Why? Because those who sow in these ways with these tears, 
against this fierce wind of opposition and so on. Those who sow in these ways will reap. It is a promise from the Lord. There will be a harvest from seed sown in tears. Don't only think of sowing in terms of spreading the gospel. Think of it also in terms of serving Christ's church. Mike, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm getting some help from it. Uh, we've had some tears here in our own local church recently, too, if you'll allow me to speak of our own local church. And uh, to know that there's, there's joy that follows tears is wonderful. So this first reality, the pain means I'm part of something worth sticking with. Then you told us uh, the second reality, keep sowing, keep working, keep building, keep encouraging, because God does promise to give harvest and joy one day. So that's fantastic. But Mike, you said you had a third point, and I'm, I'm hoping that this is a bit of a, a balancing truth in some respects, because I feel like if I'm just left with this second point, that I'm to keep sowing, I'm going to keep sowing all right. But sometimes I would have the fear that I might just work so hard that I'll burn myself out. Well, that's a great segue, Matthew. That leads me just to this final point, which does indeed balance the second one very well. And I'm going to cheat a little bit and go to the next Psalm, which is Psalm 127. The third reality that really helped me is thirdly, a wonderful truth. So here's first verse in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And we could spend a lot of time on this psalm looking at its original context, where I think, and, and many others do too, I believe, that it's likely talking about the Davidic house, David's dynasty, and so on, and how God will build it up through childbearing. But let's leave all that and just make a quick practical point. The promise of a harvest for toil and sowing at the end of Psalm 126 is balanced by the reality that unless God does the work, those who work will do so in vain. Here, verse 2. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So yes, Psalm 26, 126 says, work hard, build away, edify lots, but then take a nap, pray for your fellowship, and then go to sleep. Christ is the one who is building his church. He's the one who is head of the church. We're coming full circle, aren't we, Matthew, with where we began it is right for us to talk of our church because we are real members of it. But ultimately, it is Christ's church. I found help in reading uh, the Puritan Richard Sibbs' book, the, the Soul's Conflict with Itself. In there, he says, first of all, it's a good thing if you grieve over the problems and state of the church. If, if you weren't grieving, if your happiness wasn't tied to the happiness of the church, there'd be a real problem. We kind of covered that already. But he also says, secondly, don't grieve too long. Don't get too down. Don't go too far into despair. Because that would actually dishonor the Lord at some point eventually. Remember, in other words, to hope as well. After all, Christ is still head of the church. What's happening in your local fellowship is not outside of God's sovereign plans and control. And Christ still loves his bride despite all her current wrinkles and blemishes. And I must do the same. After all, uh, I might be one of those wrinkles, to be honest. So, so there we have it, Matthew. Those three realities have given me enough stick-with-itness to endure times of conflict in the church and not fall prey to hopeless despair. And I pray that they would do the same for you and for any who are listening. They are doing the same for me, and I'm, I'm going to listen to this again. I love that point of how feeling the pain that a local church may be going through is 
really an indication that we're part of something precious, something that is united. And so it's a, it's a strange reminder, but it's a good reminder and a good helpful reminder. And, and we've also, Mike, you've sort of brought us back to Romans 15, because remember Romans 15, 4 said, whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that's what you did. You've taken us back to the Psalms, the scriptures to give us this encouragement and hope. And so then I'm just going to close with that prayer that Romans 15 records of Paul, the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Christians in Rome. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thanks to everyone who's listening for making us a part of your life as we help make the Bible part of yours. And hopefully you'll be back for the next episode of the Practicology Podcast. Have a great day, everyone.